Opening music. Placeholder. Opening music ends. Hello. I am the machine. Welcome to my podcast, The Ark. Two of my humans will be speaking words that they have formulated in their brain. For your consumption, you are welcome. Jaden Smith's new album is Fire. Go listen to it. Or listen to Kevin and Ron. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, families and divorcees. My name is Ron Erickson II, and this is Kevin Herrera, and you're listening to The Ark Podcast. Hello. This is a podcast where we talk about everything digital, everything entertainment, and we educate you on what's going on in this crazy industry. What do you think about that, Kevin? I think it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> this is our very first experiment on podcasting, and I think we did a really great intro so far. I think the intro was top top five all time. <laughs> top five. I've got a little bit of experience. Um, well, since no one's probably listening to this, and probably no one knows who we are, let's talk a little bit about who we are. Our company is called The Machine. The Machine. What do we do, Kevin? A lot of things. I think uh, we do management, we do advertising, we do production, and we make something called consumer-valued content, but we'll get more on that later. Uh, maybe we should talk about who we are, just in case someone doesn't know who Ronald Erickson II is, if they're not familiar with uh, that yeah. amazing band. Totally. As people, yes. Um, I keep getting notifications because <laughs> we're really popular. Um, I'm Ron Erickson II. Uh, I'm a co-founder of a company called Maker Studios. It was one of the first multi-channel networks uh, sold to Disney in 2000 and something. 15? 2015. Okay. Um, and there I spent most of my life in that scene, both as an online creator, producer, sales, development. I did a little bit of everything, including taking out the trash. Um, you got to do that regularly. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it's smelly. So when the digital industry was a baby... I was there to pull it out of the womb. And out of the trash? <laughs> oh, damn. Zing. Uh, I was an agent at the Gersh Agency for a few years. I uh, cut my teeth wearing a suit uh, and swimming with the sharks the best I could. Um, working in the emerging digital marketplace. Read no dollars at all there at the time. But uh, as it continued to grow, saw an opportunity to be helpful and uh, help people find find their voices and find platforms that want to hear their voices. Uh, left to start a management company called Moopsy. Uh, Ron and I started working on a feature together that we were producing and realized that our uh, vibes matched and decided to link up and form a company called The Machine. Yeah, form Voltron. And exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Are you the leg or is Voltron like Power Rangers? Voltron is a, its own thing, but it's very similar to um, the Megazord or the Zord. Zordon? No. No. What is Zordon? This, what happens when the Zord? Megazord, is, right? Me Megazord. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because everyone has a Zord. Then they all get together to form a Zord. Megazord. Is <sighs> that why he's Zordon? Because he's Zordon. Yeah, yeah. He's like the leader of the Zords. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, a, we've got a lot of great information for you guys, <laughs> including a little bit of history of the Power Rangers. Yeah, created by uh, Saban, right? Who? Saban. Saban was the guy who created the Power Rangers. You know oh, his wow. story? 
I don't know the story. It's on a, a How I Built This. It's an NPR podcast, I think. It's pretty. Stop listening to us and go listen to that. Yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> just go. Go do that right now. Yeah, then you'll then you'll get the full history. I'll, all I know is that the Red Ranger really disappointed us all and killed someone with a sword in real life. Yeah, in real life. This guy took around. He made the theme song to Inspector Gadget. He made all sorts of theme songs. This is how he made the beginnings of his fortune. And he found he was uh, going traveling around the world. He was at a hotel and he saw on TV this the Power Rangers, the original show and thought, what if I took they're all wearing masks? What if I took that footage, licensed it and then shot the interstitial scenes with Americans or whatever, like a different you know language? And then when they went in and became the Power Rangers, you didn't even need to reshoot it. We could reuse it. And he shopped it for years and years and years. And somebody took a chance and it became the number one hit. Wow. Okay, well, that makes total sense. I didn't know that, yeah. but maybe intuitively as a child I did know it because yeah. it was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle when it cut to the action scenes, you were like, whoa, 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 wait, hold up. Trini, Trini doesn't really look, Trini's body's all weird now. I just figured like, oh, it was a stunt double or something like that, but it was actually in Japan. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So they'd be on some studio lot. Um, or in someone's backyard. I don't know where they, <laughs> where they filmed it, but uh, and then they just cut into something in uh, Nagasaki or something. Wherever they shot it, yeah. Wow. That's but it crazy. took years for someone to take a shot. I think it was uh, UPN at the time. I think it was uh, fledgling network. An executive believed in it and decided to take a shot. And I bring it up, and I'm totally digressing in a way, but it also wraps back to like what we do, and it's it's finding new ways to and work with new marketplaces and new models. I mean, that's what I was doing at the agency. It was when ABCD was a thing. It's now been folded up into ABC. When Maker was a thing before it was borged into <laughs> Disney. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's figuring out how to, how to do things differently because there's, there's a status quo and there's ways things work, but there's a lot of opportunity. Um, our meeting this morning was talking about white space, just like the blankness, like going out into the open desert and kind of forming your own thing. Yeah. It's exciting. It is exciting. And I think that on that note, at this point in the industry, I feel like people, although tentative, are willing to take a lot more risks than usual. Yeah, well, lower dollars. Lower dollars, lower risk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't take a risk on a network TV show because there's millions, if not hundreds of millions eventually, of dollars that are at stake. But if you're doing a 10 by 10 series for a platform that is in its infancy, you might throw way less than that at it making some content and then you give creators that wouldn't have a shot normally a shot to tell their story. I think it's really the democratization of content creation is still alive. The walls are being put up a little bit, but that's with any business as it consolidates, it happens. Yeah. And I actually was and have been really impressed because back in the day in 2007, 2008, 2009, even all the way up to 2015, a web series, as it was called back then, was akin to a piece of crap. Like, if you're making a web series, oh, it's guaranteed to be bad. I think it still denotes that, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I have all of our clients, when they're talking about it, talk about it short form, short form content. Ron's throwing things at me because I'm <laughs> saying bad words. I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, but did the mic pick that up? Am I just like talking nonsense? Oh no, it probably picked it up. Okay, cool. No worries. That was a setup for the joke that just failed. <laughs> so you guys know. This, there's so much stuff here in the studio. It's a, it's it's hard. It's crazy. Not, so many people are working. There's just like workers everywhere. Guys, guys, just go get out of the studio and please get me a coffee, and uh, I'll take a sparkling Lacroix uh, cranberry, please. Um, but Kevin, I think even in the last couple weeks, we've had the advantage to go to a few screenings Mm -hmm. and to be honest even the stuff that we had been going to last year i was really impressed yeah i went in with very low expectations yeah well you're typically i'm sorry to jump on you but you're typically i think a little bit more you expect more out of stuff and i think i expect a little bit less just intrinsically for whatever reason. Like I can get taken away by a story and just be like, wow, and be swept up in the moment. And you're more like practical and analytical in a way. You're like, no, 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 here's why. But I think it's because you've done like countless hours of content creation in your time at Maker, right? You were just like churning out as a producer. Right. Yeah, I think so. And I guess I wish I I could go back to that uh, that sense of wonder with things a lot yeah. of times. But yeah. it's like anything. Like once you... Uh, like actors, once they do it enough, they can wa- they can never watch a film in the same way yeah. ever again because you see the work behind the acting. Yeah, you know, it, you see the crap. Uh, someone who makes tables and chairs, they see the craft craftsmanship behind it. They can never just see like, oh, what a beautiful table. It's more like, oh, the wood grain on that is just not right. But if they do see it and it does take them out of it, then you know you're witnessing an absolute masterpiece 100 right okay so like and that's i think for me with content i'll watch it one time to try to consume it as just a consumer if i can see the scaffolding then it's pretty terrible at that point because i usually kind of have my defenses down and then you watch it a second time and it just kind of becomes apparent um yeah that's great yeah um that's a great way to be able to look at things um but what we saw i think i was the quality was really was really impressive yeah um, and the creativity was really on point yeah with a lot of these things and you can see that so much more care is being taken taken um, in the pre-production of things like the uh, I think now people realize and understand that you can't just just because it's cheap to do doesn't mean that you you can just get rid of all those things that are very meaningful <laughs> like a good script and good acting story um, exactly yeah, at the uh, core so uh, i see so many uh companies now uh bringing on people that have that talent and uh actually taking the time to make things uh meaningful paying attention to the things that actually matter and i was it was just so refreshing yeah to see and i don't know can we talk about the actual Places or no? I don't know. I think it's maybe we've got to keep it secret for now. I mean, we'll find out and we could drop names eventually, maybe, or like clear it if it's okay with them. But like I brought, so if we're going to, well, let's be cagey with the names. We were sitting down. Our guest was a CEO of another company that's based out of New York at the screening. And during one of the series, uh, after it ended and the credits were up and everyone was clapping, he leaned in and whispered, he's like, that's, that was a show. That was like a full on show. Like kind of. He's not a competitive company to this company we were watching a screening at, but a contemporary. And he was blown away by the quality of it. Um, And I thought that that was, you go to Sundance when uh, a few of the different places were screening their work and it wasn't intimidating. 
there's still you were left wanting oh good attempt like good job you're, you're almost there but now i think they're finally there where they're understanding that you can't a you can't bring in a, a nobody who has no idea what they're doing and just give them the keys with no restrictions and say go make and have something great come back alternatively at, like or at the same time you can't bring in somebody from traditional give them the same no restrictions and think that it's going to come out great because they're not used to working in the way that people that are scrappy know how to work but if you could find that middle ground maybe a traditional showrunner who's overseeing somebody new and fresh and giving them restrictions in a budget and having some kind of oversight into the the script phase then you're going to come out with something really great yeah and are you seeing kevin that mm, as traditional moves in more and more into this market in a serious way are you seeing them able to take a greater risk on new creators maybe that have that don't have um like a f huge film background or show running a network television series yeah i mean they're they're the music video directors of the 90s today those people were cutting their teeth like spike jones i think was doing it. he was a skater and then he turned into a music video director and then he did where the wild things are you know i mean that's not his direct trajectory but like you're just taking like points you know out of his his career no one thought <laughs> that he would be making where the wild things are it's <laughs> like, so crazy it's wild and so i think yeah puns so good um <laughs> thanks for peppering in a little bit of comedy to this series no problem no problem yeah you know um yeah spike jones he also uh directed one of my favorite films of 2012 her mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i was I, a lot of people don't like that movie but i was like wow i really liked the writing yeah maybe i do i look at things a little too hard i gotta take things a little less seriously what's happened i don't what's think so to me have i become uh i think jaded? it's i think it's why the yin and the yang aspect of how we're working with creatives makes sense because those times when I'll be the exact opposite of you too and being like, no, I don't like this for this reason and here's why. And it's just like, it's that push and pull. But I think that's with any creative project. You can't have no restrictions. I mean, look at Star Wars episode one through three. They made a lot of money. They're amazing business moves. They created entire other toy lines and all of that stuff. But if you go and you look at it creatively, objectively, I don't think that it's at the quality that it could have been. Because from my understanding of the outside and kind of seeing maybe some behind the scenes stuff, I don't think George Lucas was given much restrictions because it was his baby. He controlled everything. And A New Hope, arguably for me, is the strongest film. You can say Empire Strikes Back is better, but he didn't direct that one. I think A New Hope was awesome because he had to deal with so much, so many problems. His set got destroyed in Tunisia. The money wasn't as high as it could be. His entire crew and his cast thought he was crazy and were like treating him poorly. They're, you see behind the scenes stuff and they're like making fun of him. Oh God. Yeah, he, he had like hypertension. He almost had a heart attack. Oh no. But I think that it's the strongest film because it's just that and his wife edited it and saved it. But right. there's persevering over adversity is what makes any creative worth their salt, I think. Absolutely, yeah, and the the other films, the films in the middle that we don't really speak about much, you can just tell that it's infinity green lights. He never saw a red light <laughs> along yeah. the way. Yeah, and you need you need that. It's it's the battle. It's that battle that's going to bring equilibrium to what you're making. Yeah, that's the beauty of what we do, and really why I want to be involved in this super crazy industry is because everything needs to be. Everything is collaborative. It's a 
it's a business of compromise. Yeah. Um, which I love because it shapes some a seed of an idea and it shapes and, ev- and evolves it into something unexpected. Yeah. And every now and then that thing sucks. But uh, also every now and then all these people together focusing makes something that's really important and, t- and touches people or makes them laugh really hard. Yeah. Where, where do these things go, Kevin? Because we've, you know, we've gone to these screenings, we've seen these things, and we're like, oh yeah, this is a, this was a really great pilot. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. How do you think that turns into actual business? Like, where, where you, where do you suppose someone's gonna, these companies gonna put these things, to where eyeballs are gonna go on them, or are we not? in that place yet in the industry where people can actually focus on something like that or they would actually go even if it's good uh, i think i think it's going to be advertising based i think barry diller is right that you can't compete with netflix unless you want to raise a lot a lot a lot of money and be spending in the same way they're spending and also build a time machine and go back and build it when they were building <laughs> Um, but there's this big opportunity in the advertising space, and I think you see it with the consolidation that's happening for brands. Um, look, go to oath.com. Do yourself a favor and go to oath.com and look at that list of brands that Verizon has brought together. It's insane. Tumblr's on there, Yahoo's on there, AOL's on there, and collectively there's millions and millions of potential eyeballs. If they could figure out how to focus that, you're gonna have a gigantic audience. And with the technology you have now, you can target people. So they make content. It's like what Netflix is doing internally from what we've heard, I haven't worked internally there, but from what I've heard from people that either used to work there or tangentially are involved, they've got their system that they they knew House of Cards was gonna work, or they had a, a really strong hunch that it was gonna work when it first came out because they trolled all the information and put together a pack, or I guess the package came their way that matched when they put it into the system. And you do that, and with the millions of eyeballs that you have and all the data that you've pulled together as Verizon, you just gotta make really great content at a price point that gives you a margin. And I think we're getting closer to that. The screenings we were at, one of them was uh, the one of the digital verticals of a traditional studio, and the other screening was an independent studio. And that independent studio had output deals at a few of the places that uh, are doing content right now that are gonna be advertising focused. Uh, and then the other one, they're just putting it out on their website through their portals. And so do you think the best move for them is going to be a large marketing campaign, like you said, just just uh, blasting all the different platforms, Facebook, um, Google, YouTube, just, just to kind of like bring people in in that way? Or do you think, they, do you think that they would be doing it um, trying to do it a little bit more organically because it's interesting i just don't i really enjoyed the content but i have my tried and true places Mm -hmm. that i go to look at stuff yeah i glance through youtube check out the few people that i enjoy maybe click on a few funny videos and i'm out i go to netflix i search around i fish around for like three hours until I find something. <laughs> yeah. And then I watch 10 minutes and fall asleep. <laughs> it's like it's like walking through Blockbuster, but just in your underwear. <laughs> Eating <Absolutely>. licorice <laughs> that you didn't have to buy at the counter because you already have it in your cupboard. 
<laughs> oh man, uh, block, good old Blockbuster. Yeah, if you're yeah if you're under 15, Blockbuster was a place that you could go to rent movies that were on pieces of plastic with thinner plastic that read in a <laughs> VHS. Like, how do you describe VHS? What you say makes me think of, I uh, put a few links together um, to talk about today. This is also an offshoot of a newsletter that uh, the machine does called The Arc. Um, and my goal with the podcast, uh, and maybe we share this goal, is to talk about things weekly. And this is my first podcast. I'll learn and get better as we go along, and we might be a little bit more focused. But You're great. Well, thank you, Ron. So are you. You're, uh, but what you said was interesting and in how you consume content. Um, I like Reddit. I like going there to know what's trending and what's popular. I don't know what specifically that audience that hits the front pages. And I'm not, sub I'm not signed in, so I'm not seeing something specific to me. It's just the general front page. Um, something hit the front page today that said, it was a shower thought, surfing the web has become like watching TV back in the day, just flicking through a handful of websites looking for something new on. And what you just described was pretty much that. You're like, you have your tried and true places you go to, you look for new content. It's probably based on your age and demographic too. If they're doing their job, you're consuming, like MTV had a very specific audience, might still, I don't know, but back in the day that was dedicated to them, would come and watch their stuff every day. I'm sure there's a place besides Snapchat, maybe there's other places that teenagers go to daily to see what's new. It's not Facebook, right? At least not now. They bought that TBH app, I think, to try to capture those eyeballs. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, I think it's Snapchat. My nieces and nephews and friends, family that have like teenagers say like it's Snapchat's like how they communicate too. It's yeah. not just content. It's full on communication, which yeah, is a whole different distinction that I think traditional media doesn't understand or um, people that have been in it for, you know, much longer than us that are you know running Viacom or in these huge companies, like in those huge senior positions because they're working in gigantic corporations maybe they can't see necessarily, but it's a total, total different thing. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's funny. It, it, it is like, it's like texting, but even it goes even beyond that. Yeah. It's a, it's a very intricate <laughs> way to communicate. But as far as an entertainment source, I think the entertainment, there's people that you follow on Snapchat that are kind of funny, mm -hmm. but also the entertainment lies within your friends, like the people that you talk to and communicate with, like you're sending them a funny video. They're sending you a funny video. You're texting back and forth. Like, how was your day? What's going on? Wherever they are in the world. But it, it I think of it, it's still entertainment, but it's very, very personal. Yeah. So, and I don't know. I don't know how the actual um, content is going to be performing on Snapchat, but allegedly it's pretty good. Yeah. I guess going back to your point, I wonder how these new p new platforms coming out from the larger studios, how do they become that channel that you click through, like back mm. in the television days? Like as you're searching through um, the Internet, how does that focus up and they become something that you actually pass and look at? I think, I mean, the question back to you too is I'm curious what you think about what's going on with the FCC and a G Pi and all the rulings and what's been happening. Um, the, I think if the antitrust laws and regulations don't block these mega mergers, that you're going to be within an ecosystem. So you're going to be kind of not forced, but only have a few options to consume 
if you want that type of content. Snapchat and messaging with your friends is, is always gonna be there as long as you can reach your friends. But in terms of like the content and artistry, like what we're trying to create and help foster, AT&T and Time Warner merger. Time Warner owns, they don't own the internet anymore, they spun that off a few years ago. Now Charter owns the internet side of things. But Time Warner owns Adult Swim, Cartoon Network, the Warner, Bro Warner Brothers entirely, DC, uh, all sorts of IP. And the Warner Brothers IP catalog or you know vault is goes back decades. They take that, AT&T owns the pipeline, they have Otter Media where they invest in new companies. Um, and you have, you subscribe to AT&T, oh, Time Warner owns HBO as well. So if you want HBO, you got to subscribe to AT&T to get that HBO. So if we lose net neutrality, you're seeing the cableification of the internet. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just, but that's just antitrust stuff. Like the whole net neutrality thing, say the mergers don't even happen. That's a separate issue. Net neutrality, for those that aren't following or aren't aware, is that all data on the internet is treated equally. So you're not, uh, fast lanes aren't able to be created. Not that your internet quality where you're living is any good as it is anyway, because it's already an oligopoly and you have two choices and both suck. But, boo. Boo. But for right now, I pay for my internet. I pay for my Netflix subscription. I get my Netflix streaming to myself or my TV or my phone or whatever, wherever I'm watching it. If net neutrality is gutted, it'll allow the company that I pay for my internet to also charge Netflix an extra fee to access me. So they could press and squeeze on the content providers that are using their pipeline, creating fast lanes, or they can charge me extra money as the consumer to have faster access to the internet that they provide. If the net neutrality rules are gutted and not replaced with something that does the same thing that we already have that the laugh last FCC commissioner put forth and locked in. What Ajit Pai is trying to do is he's saying the way that the last FCC commissioner um, and the rulings that the public fought for, the way that they were implemented is bad and doesn't allow for um, the growth of the internet industry, which hasn't been growing anyway in the right way because it's already an oligopoly, so there's already a problem that's not being fixed. But he's saying, let's gut it, let's completely repeal it, and let's replace it. I'd be okay with that if there wasn't gigantic special interests that were in Washington with millions of dollars constantly pushing for their agenda, which is to protect their business as they should in a capitalist country. And our voices have been heard multiple times, there's been multiple votes. The public wants net neutrality. And I just, either way, we're still gonna be able to get content, but one way is gonna be a little bit more restrictive to new business and the other way is gonna help the, the people, the incumbents already. Yeah, it is. It's kind of uh, on a very superficial level. It is. It's a double-edged sword in a way because I enjoy the freedom of the internet, and I'm you know I haven't had cable or television. I've never had cable in my life because I'm not rich like you, Kevin. But <laughs> <laughs> I cut it too. <laughs> I'm not rich. No, I'm, I'm, I'm rich. I'm kidding. I'm not. And uh, I I haven't had uh, rich in friendship. <laughs> yes, rich in love. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> you didn't subscribe. You don't subscribe to cable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't had cable or television for a really long time. Um, so I'm just, I'm constantly on the internet, on my phone, on the on the laptop. Um, but to be honest, I would like to have some form of consolidation so that I can 
be able to find and view this content rather than having such a what if to you have to really do s a lot of searching like you have to kind of go down a portal mm -hmm. in order to find a lot of these things it's like going down a YouTube portal so much like reddit I appreciate reddit because the internet is all in one place you can find all the cool stuff on the internet at least as far as I know comes into reddit in some way shape or form and that's why I love it so much and I would love something like that for content and I, I know that it exists uh, as a shadow on on reddit as well like in videos and stuff like that. Apple yeah Apple the TV app of Apple yeah yeah that's and really how nice. yeah when you like talk into your remote control and say find me Jason Bourne movies and it just pops up the different places you can get it I think they're trying to do that right yeah and they have the billions of dollars they're spending on content in 2018 and the new campus down here in LA and Hollywood the poaching of all the executives from Sony or maybe not poaching just the hiring of them away um, so that they can make really great content that's gonna serve their subscribers and I think that's that's consumer valued content in a very big level in the millions and millions and billions of dollar level what is going to be relevant to your consumers that it's going to keep them in your ecosystem uh, if this net neutrality stuff goes the way we don't want it to if the antitrust goes the way we don't want it to we I maybe I'm not I'm speaking for you I guess here to tell me if you're if I'm wrong but just we want the freedom to compete within the business so that we can have the best innovation come out of it, not have restrictions to com competition. Because when that happens, you end up with oligopolies. But if Apple is forced to pay extra money when they're trying to deliver their content because of net neutrality, they're not going to be incentivized to be continue to do this innovation unless they want to either somehow create their own internet, like their own pipeline, or buy one. But I don't know. Maybe those companies get too big for them to for it to make sense to buy it and they just stick to hardware. Um, I, I don't know. I just I want content being free and competition for those eyeballs is super important. I think for any kind of innovation to continue. One hundred percent. And I mean that's what um, digital was born on. It was born on just people like me turning on a camera and uploading it. It wasn't born on you know a a, a giant telephone company um, putting out a. 280p movie uh, online, you know. Um, so you're right. I I don't want that part of it to go away or be compromised because it is, from a creative standpoint, it's uh, it's really incredible. And um, yeah, I don't want to see that kind of innovation go away or that spirit go away. But it could. Yeah, and, and it's kind of scary. Well, yeah, to, and to your point about not having cables, skinny bundles are starting to pop up. There's a new company I think called Philo or Philo. I'm probably saying it totally wrong. I just Philo. Philo. I just saw an article about it today. Um, big channels like VH1 is part of this skinny bundle that you could buy. I have, I have not watched VH1 <laughs> in decades. That's amazing. Yeah, but it's like it's a brand that is known that you know you're. You're looking at an older generation that might not be as open to new technologies. How do you bridge that gap and get them to start consuming like we consume? And I think that might be a step toward it, but we'll have to find out over time. I love it. Yeah. People listening, thank you so much. Thank you. This is the ARC Podcast. And next time, we've got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about who's here, who's not here. 
um, who's coming soon here on this digital landscape. And uh, thank you very much. We're the machine, Kevin Herrera, Ron Erickson the second. We've got Aaron Latimer on the control deck. And we've got the machine, our boss and overlord. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Love the machine. <laughs>